Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. It's not about, I'm going to save one basis point here. I'm going to save two basis points here. It is not about that because the very best mortgage brokers, the very best operators, they're going to add so much value to your investment, to your team, that one basis point here, two basis point here is not going to matter. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed. Today I'm joined by James Eng. James is joining us from Dallas, Texas. He is the national director of Old Capital, a commercial mortgage broker. Since 2015, he has personally originated over $1.5 billion in multifamily loans across the U.S. He also invests in multifamily properties in Texas. He has GP and LP positions in over 20 multifamily properties in Texas, totaling over 10,000 units. James, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I'm a Texas guy. So born and raised in Houston, went to school in Austin at University of Texas, and then been up here in Dallas since 2006. I started my career at GE Capital and basically had a chance to work in their commercial real estate department. And what I saw was people who invested in commercial real estate made a lot more money than doctors and lawyers and other professions that I thought made a lot of money. So I spent 10 years at GE underwriting all types of commercial properties, industrial, office, retail, multifamily, self-storage. And I told myself at the end of 10 years that I was going to start investing in multifamily. And that's what I started doing in 2015. Within brokering commercial loans, commercial multifamily, James, what is your focus? Our focus really is on multifamily. So really, we do a lot of Fannie and Freddie agency business right now. In 2021-22, we did a lot of bridge. So really, we help investors, whether it's your first deal or your 10th deal, we help you through the lending process. So a lot of people lean on us for advice on what type of loan to do and then what terms to take and sort of negotiate the entire loan transaction because they're bringing 75, 80% of the money a lot of times on these deals. So they're your biggest partner. So what we're going to see 
this year is that you might have had 15, 20, 30 limited partners in your deals, but your biggest partner is your lender. And they're going to determine your fate a little bit here on these loan maturities that maybe are coming up in the next 12 to 18 months. What is the loan size that you target? Most of the people, when they're first starting out, I would say they're probably in that 2 to $5 million range. And then probably the larger size deals here in Dallas, I would say max, they're probably $30, $40 million. So we usually start with somebody in that smaller end of the range, one to 5 million. And then as they start buying larger and larger properties, I would say probably that 30, $40 million range. But last year we did about 1.2 billion across old capital and the average deal size was right around $10 million. James, we have a fairly sophisticated listener base. So this won't come as a shock to anyone that in 2021 and two, you were more focused on bridge debt. And now you're looking at more longer term options. But give us your insider perspective. Why is it and how is it that that transition in debt type, debt structure is taking place? Really in, I would say, January of 21, the spigot opened up and there was a ton of liquidity. So the federal funds rate was essentially zero. And if you had money in a savings account, it was earning zero dollars essentially like one penny for every million dollars that was sitting there, it seems like. So what everybody was looking for was yield. So a lot of lenders were able to raise money, raise debt funds and securitize loans through a process called collateralized loan obligation. So CLO. And basically what that did was it gave real estate borrowers interest rates that were starting around 3%. So when you looked at fixed rate agency loans compared to those bridge loans, not only could you get higher leverage on the bridge loan, but you could also get a lower interest rate. I guess the catch was that the term was only for three years and it was floating rate. So if the federal funds rate or SOFR rate went up, then your interest rate would go up. So at the beginning, 21, it was essentially flat. So it was 3% for the entire time. And then now after the federal funds rate has gone from zero to five, now you're sitting at probably closer to 8%. So your interest rate went from 3% to 8%. So anybody who's looking at a deal today, you can still get a bridge loan, but it'll be eight, eight and a half percent interest compared to an agency loan that's probably closer to five and a half percent right now. So agency debt is closer to five and a half percent right now, and the bridge loan still exists. Is it fair to assume that the reason you'd put a client in a bridge loan three percentage points higher than agency debt is because they have a very short-term need. Their business model dictates a sale or refi or liquidity event in the near term. And overall, including fees like a prepayment penalty, the bridge debt makes more sense. Yeah. Most people who are doing bridge loans today, the deal basically just doesn't qualify for agency. So agency, they're looking at stabilized property. So you need to be 90% occupied for the last 90 days, or you're not going to qualify for agency. And so you're having to do a bridge loan. And if you're able to buy a deal at a good basis, so let's say in Dallas, your deals are trading for 150 a door on a class B property, and you can pick something up for hundred a door, then all of a sudden that makes sense. I'll do the bridge loan. I'll pay a higher interest rate for maybe one year or two years. And then I'll refinance to agency at that time. Once it's stabilized and I've sort of executed my business plan, that's actually what bridge loans are for. 
in 21 and 22, people were doing bridge loans on stabilized properties because agencies look at a 125 debt service coverage on in-place income. So most of the deals on the pricing that deals were trading for in 21 and 22, you could get 40% leverage. So you had 40% leverage on agency or you had 75 to 80% on bridge loans from debt funds. So people took the bridge loans from the debt funds in 21 and 22. James, it sounds like what you're saying is, first of all, the elephant in the room that everyone is talking about is all those bridge loans from one to three years ago that are coming to, they're either ballooning or the rate cap is disappearing right now. They're coming to maturity. What I'm hearing you say is that the reason it is as big of an issue as it either is or people fear it to be is that investors were getting bridge loans for the execution of business plans that bridge loans were not designed for in the first place. That a bridge loan is intended to effectively not make it to maturity. The idea is that you have some sort of liquidity event before it actually matures. That's the way it is structured to work. So you should have anticipated if your bridge loan matured, there was something wrong with the execution of your business plan in the first place. So the reason why we're seeing the fear in the market that we have right now is people getting bridge loans for the wrong business plan, a business plan that necessitated a hold period longer than the bridge term or that did not merit a liquidity event before that bridge debt was going to mature. Is that what you're saying? Let's just use an example because I think it's easier for people to get an understanding of it. Let's say you were buying a property for $25 million and you're buying it in 2021. The agencies were essentially going to give you maybe a $12 million loan. So about 50% levered at the time. So you could buy the property for 25 million and you could get an agency loan for $12 million and go on your way. And that would have been fine. But there was also bridge loan money out there. So the bridge loan money was saying, okay, we could give you 75 to 80% of the purchase price and 100% of the rehab. So let's say I give you a $20 million loan and the agency loan was at 5% and the bridge loan was at 3%. Which one do you take? <laughs> That's a true question. The majority of the people took the bridge loan at $20 million at 3% in 2021. So now... It's coming up on maturity next year in 2024. And you're saying, all right, let me go and size this deal for agency. Rents went up in 2021. Rents went up a little bit in 2022. So maybe your NOI increased. And so now you can do an agency loan for maybe 15 million. You can't go all the way up. So your bridge loan is 20 million and your agency loan today on a refi is 15 million. So now you still have a $5 million gap between what your takeout is and your bridge loan. So that's why people are seeing an issue for these bridge loans coming up because majority of people, if their initial equity raise was $5 million, they definitely didn't raise an extra $5 million. So that's the issue is that most of these syndications, most of these owners don't have that additional capital to pay down the bridge loan to reset their debt into an agency loan. James, when you put it that way, what I'm hearing is that the investors facing this $5 million gap, this is something they should have underwritten the deal for when they acquired it one to three years ago, that this was eventually going to be the case. And it would have been the case regardless of what 
cap rates, interest rates looked like in the future. Is that fair? Most people, when they take a bridge loan, they size it based off of not the in-place income. They're sizing it based on a pro forma income and expense number, essentially three years from now. So majority of those business plans, let's say your NOI started at a million dollars, they're trying to get to probably, let's say a 50% increase. Your in-place might be a million dollars and you're trying to get to a $1.5 million NOI. The problem is with real estate taxes going up, insurance going up, your rent might went up, but your NOI, your bottom line, didn't go up 50%. And most people didn't expect the interest rates to be at five and a half. Most were sizing some of these deals at four and a half percent interest rates. So not only did the interest rates go up, but your NOI is not where it needs to be to do the refi. So it's a combination of two things. And how much you can borrow on agency debt comes down to the debt service coverage ratio, the DSCR. And with the interest rate being higher, it takes more income to cover or your DSCR is going to be lower just because the payment is bigger. Yeah, your payment's bigger, so you can't qualify as much for a loan amount, right? So you're only getting 15 when you need 20 right now. Your number, $1.5 billion in loans originated. Is that trailing 12 months or is it calendar year 2022? Old Capital did $1.2 billion in 2022. Right. And so for me personally, I've done about over $1.5 billion. That's since I started Old Capital in 2015. For the sake of asking my next question... In the second half of 2022 and the first half of 2023, old capital has originated 1.2. And how much have you originated personally? I don't have that number on me. I look at it by calendar year. So for 2022, we did 1.2 billion and I was probably close to 300 million. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you tired of spending hours managing your rental properties? Inago is here to simplify your life as a landlord or property owner with their free property management software. With Inago, you can say goodbye to complex and costly solutions. Inago is designed with simplicity in mind, focusing on the features that matter to you. From tenant screening and lease signing to rent collection and work order management, Inago has got you covered. They offer a seamless interface and dedicated support representatives to assist you in every step of the way. Join thousands of satisfied landlords and start streamlining your property management tasks today with Inago. Plus, you'll get a $25 Amazon gift card just for using Inago. Visit Inago.com forward slash best ever to get started and reclaim your time and sanity. That's I-N-N-A-G-O dot com forward slash best ever. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors, targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.com. 
thebamcompanies.com. The reason why I want trailing 12-month numbers is because we're in a very different place now than we were at the beginning of 2022 and the loans you were originating in. February of 22 and February of 23, we're meeting very different needs for the borrower. Right. That yeah, said, so, I mean, there's definitely a huge shift. So in 2022, probably 70 to 80% of our loans were bridge. And then that's probably flipped over to in 2023, 70 to 80% of our loans are agency. 70 plus percent of your loans are agency now. And a lot of those are borrowers who are facing the borrowability gap between what their bridge loan would give them when they close that loan and what an agency loan will give them now, correct? Well, about half of the stuff we've done is on the refi side, and then half is on the acquisition side. So on the acquisition side, people are still using agency loans, and they're getting about 60% leverage on agency to buy new deals. And then on the refi side, I think it's a combination. So not only did people take on bridge loans that they need to refi, they also took on floating rate loans. So people who had Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac floating rate loans, we've also done some refis to fixed rate. So people who maybe bought an interest rate cap for three years, but they don't want to be on a floating rate loan for another seven years, they've moved those to fixed rate loans as well. How much friction have you seen in that process of moving from floating rate to fixed rate loans? When you do a floating rate Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loan, it qualifies similar on a 125 coverage. So most of the people who did those loans, they did not over lever the deal. So majority of those deals can flip over from floating to fixed. That's not a big deal. The bridge loan piece that was based on pro forma NOI, that is a lot harder. And most of those people are having to bring significant equity to do those refis. So if we look at 20 bridge loans, there might be one, maybe two that actually qualify for a refi without bringing cash to the table. This sounds like a fairly cut and dry scenario here. Coming out of a bridge loan, agency debt is either attainable without bringing cash to closing or it is not. Is it really that simple or are there strategies, things that an investor can do or you as an originator can do to pardon the term here, but bridge that gap? Yeah, there's definitely some stuff that you can do as an owner. So Fannie and Freddie are definitely going to look heavily at occupancy. They're going to look at your T1, T2 income. So focusing on occupancy, focusing on collections, that's huge. The big thing in Texas really has been property taxes. They come out in May for the year and everybody's thinking 22 to 23, property taxes should be flat or down. And the counties came out guns a blazing and they went up 30%. So imagine your largest expense line item going up 30%. That crushes your ability to refinance a lot of these loans. So that's probably another thing is that we're working through with a lot of people that as soon as they get sort of some relief on the property tax side. If they get some relief on the insurance side, then we're moving forward with a refinance and being in position as well, I would say is important. So we've started the process with some borrowers an engineering, environmental appraisals done. And then if there's any dip in the 10-year treasury, then we're locking the rate as soon as possible. So not only do you have to be prepared on the property side, but prepared on the capital market side, I think is key as well. One last question here, we've kind of segued naturally. What are your top tips for navigating the commercial lending space in 2023, both for our listeners who are looking at new acquisitions, but also our 
listeners who are looking to refinance? I think on the acquisition side, I think in terms of underwriting, majority of the people out there, I would say are using agency. So I'd probably size the deal at 55 to 60% leverage, probably use about five and a half percent interest rate fixed, and then probably three to five years of interest only. And in order for that really to work, you need to be buying at five and a half to six percent cap rates are getting there relatively quickly. So it's taken a little bit of time for sellers who were selling at three and four caps to sell at a five or five and a half cap. Most sellers don't want to do that right away. So it's taken a little bit of time. We've seen some people who maybe are bridge loans start doing that. So I would say just be patient on the buying side right now and make sure that you're buying a quality asset and be prepared for distress as a buyer too. So making sure that your current portfolio is in good shape. We've run into some issues where buyers maybe have some loans on their current portfolio that are not performing or they're not doing well and they're with Fannie and Freddie. Make sure you fix all your existing properties because if you go back into Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they're going to look through your schedule of real estate and make sure that all your current properties are performing before they give you a new loan. So I would say on the acquisition side, be prepared for distress, but then be ready to underwrite Fannie and Freddie loans on that side. And then for people who are trying to bridge the gap on refinances, I would say whether it's a mortgage broker or a Fannie Freddie lender, take a look at the deal, underwrite it, see where your gaps are and figure out what your NOI needs to be at current interest rates to refinance the deal. And if you need to get a loan extension or buy another interest rate cap, make sure you reach out to your investors via a capital call and get that money in as soon as possible. Taking this conversation in a different direction, James, before we close out this interview, you're an investor in over 20 multifamily deals in Texas. Your experience as a mortgage broker, how has it influenced your investing, both the way that you invest and the deals that you decide to do or invest in? I think it goes back to being an underwriter at GE for a long time. So I was an underwriter for 10 years. So that was from 2006 to 2015. And so it sort of went through the great financial crisis and we did every type of loan out there. And it was bridge loans, it was CMBS loans. And majority of the loans that we took back were in the office retail hospitality space, but were multifamily and self-storage. So those were the two asset classes that I focused in on in 2015. And it was actually rather difficult to find syndication opportunities in self-storage. So I focused in on multifamily and that's what I originate a lot of. So that ability to not only look at a lot of properties as an investor, but as a mortgage broker, I think helped me on the underwriting side, number one. But then also number two, I would say, my focus is if I'm going to invest in syndication, I'm typically doing it in a larger property just for the economies of scale. So usually I'm looking at class B or newer and 200 units or higher. Are you investing in deals that you broker loans for? Yeah. If I like the deal and a lot of the general partners, I mean, that I work with, their ability to raise money hasn't been an issue. So they have plenty of limited partner money, but if I want to invest in the deal, I could. On that note, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. What is the best ever book you recently read? 
I think the most recent one that I've reread and gone back to, it's actually like an ebook from Howard Marks called The Most Important Thing. And what I like about it is he starts with the most important thing is X, but then he goes through 20 things that are the most important things. So when you're looking at a deal, there's a lot of different ways of looking at it. So one of my favorite parts of that book is talks about risk and volatility on one chart. And I had been in risk management for 10 years and I never saw it explained so easily. So definitely check out that book. What is your best ever way to give back? Once a year, we actually host a charity, some sort of sporting event. So we had done basketball for the previous couple of years and raised anywhere from 15 to 20,000 a year. And this year we switched to bowling because we had too many injuries. So that's probably one of my favorite ways to give back. So we gave to a charity that supports teenagers and young children who are in tough situations throughout DFW. I need to put a twist on the way that I normally ask this next question, James. Thinking about your underwriting experience, both as a broker and as an investor, what is the biggest underwriting mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? I think in terms of underwriting, what most people don't spend enough time on, and it seems crazy, is the debt. So when I look at an investment package, a lot of people will send me an investment package and they'll literally be half a page out of 60. James, I'm talking about not the mistakes that you see your clients make, but your own underwriting mistakes. I would probably say market selection then, because I've invested in a lot of markets throughout Texas. And one market that we went into, we thought it was fine, but we invested in a class A property, essentially a new property, but the rents the demographics could not support the rental growth that we projected in that market. So making sure that you look at your demographics in terms of median income and household income in comparison to the rents that you're projecting is important. Just because it's a new building doesn't mean that you're going to grow rents the same as the overall market. You're going to tell us what that market was? It starts with an S. (laughs) There are a few of those in Texas. There's not that many. Does it end with an Antonio? (laughs) It's close. Very close. Gotcha. Well, on that note, James, what is your best ever advice? Best ever advice is I think a lot of people, you have to decide, do you bet on the jockey or the horse? I think 100% you bet on the jockey in these deals. And so as a lender, as a investor, I would say... Get to know your general partner, your operators in these deals. And the same thing goes for when you choose your mortgage broker is get to know your mortgage broker. A lot of times they have a lot more knowledge than the next guy. And it's not about, I'm going to save one basis point here. I'm going to save two basis points here. It is not about that because the very best mortgage brokers, the very best operators, They're going to add so much value to your investment, to your team, that one basis point here, two basis point here is not going to matter. Last question. Where can people get in touch with you? Best place. I'm probably most active on LinkedIn. So I'd probably check out LinkedIn, type in my name. And then also I've been given the nickname, the professor of multifamily finance. So you can go onto YouTube and I probably have four or 500 videos on multifamily finance over the last six, seven, eight years. So you can go on YouTube, 
and find my station there. Those links are in the show notes. James, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our episode today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.